All right. Um, thanks for coming. I know that there's no school today, so some of you could be off doing other things, but thanks for showing up. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 143 is what we said we'd look at. I won't ask how many of you actually looked at it. 143. I, I, I said to Pastor Bruzic yesterday, which one did we promise? He said 143. I said... Let me take a quick look at 103 and see if I can do that one on the fly. Uh, well, let's, let's look at 143, and if we finish up, we'll go down to 103, okay? <laughs> what are you going to do? You have to make, yeah, exactly. We can do it. We can do 103 on the fly. We can do that, uh, you know. No, I'm after this one, after 143, if we have time, we'll go to 103. That's fine. All right, let me read it to you, and then we'll, uh, then we'll chatter about it. Let me, let me ask you this first. Any questions from last week? You all okay? It was a great psalm, great selections. Um, but any, any questions, any follow-up from last week? The vicar brought down a handheld microphone, so now all of you can be on the radio. <laughs> you can all ask your questions? I know, high class. Thank you. That's what we said. So if you're going to ask a question, you can use this. If you're going to swear, don't use this, okay? <laughs> so I'll pass it around, and just if you feel the urge to, you know, use a vulgarity, just pass it over to the next person. We do that with the eighth grade. Do you want to answer or pass? Everybody always passes. All right, Psalm 143. Here we go. New English version, so a little, little more poetic, hopefully. Lord, hear my prayer. Be true to thyself. And listen to my pleading. Then in thy righteousness answer me. Bring not thy servant to trial before thee. Against thee no man on earth can be right. An enemy has hunted me down, has ground my living body underfoot, and plunged me into darkness like a man, man long dead, so that my spirit fails me and my heart is dazed with despair. I dwell upon the years long past, upon the memory of all that thou hast done, the wonders of thy creation fill my mind. To thee I lift up my outspread hands, a thirst for thee in a thirsty land. Lord, make haste to answer, for my spirit faints. Do not hide thy face from me, or I shall be like those who go down to the abyss. In the morning let me know thy true love. I have put my trust in thee. Show me the way that I must take. To thee I offer all my heart. Deliver me, Lord, from my enemies, for with thee have I sought refuge. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. In thy gracious kindness, show me the level road. Keep me safe, O Lord, for the, honor, for the honor of thy name. And as thou art just, release me from my distress. In thy love for me, reduce my enemies to silence and bring destruction on all who oppress me, for I am thy servant. Okay? What comes to mind when you hear it? It's not a happy one like all the other ones are. At least not as happy. Oh, microphone, microphone. <laughs> We're getting ready for a voters meeting. Here you go. Uh, it seems like he's praying that his enemies will be destroyed. And I didn't know that that's what we should do. Good. That surprises me. I thought we were supposed to have represented. Yeah, right. Anyone else like to speak? <laughs> this feels very odd. I, you know what? Let's just pretend. Let's not use this thing. Let's pretend. We'll, here's the great joy. The pastor's wife is the only one who's been recorded. So this is good. <laughs> so when they say, what happened? We'll say, Kirby spoke, and we realize we couldn't put it. Oh, uh, yeah. That, Vic, where's the vicar at? Great idea. Great in theory, bad in practice. All right, Beth. Yeah. She said, she said, Jeanette suggested the psalm, so if Jeanette would feel comfortable, maybe uh, just giving us a little insight into why you suggested it. I see. Yeah. Yes, right. Good job. Yeah. Right. 
Your enemy, when you're waking up in the middle of the night because John's dying of cancer, your enemy is death and cancer, right? Yeah. It's the same enemy that uh, someone suggested, you suggested prayers today that this not, you know, sort of threaten her again. That's the enemy, right? So enemy is... uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the Lord takes the Psalms and he applies it to you. So we always say in the church, all pastoral care is specific. The pastoral care I give to you when your husband is dying is different than I give to someone else who's caught in adultery, right? That's a very different... What's that? It's a very different kind of pastoral care. Same thing with the Psalms. The Psalms spoke to you in a very different way because of what you were going through, maybe than they would someone else who was struggling with a different sort of enemy. Okay? So what, so, okay, so good. So we have two things. One, you saying, here is the enemy for me, and Kirby asking, um, why should we be praying for the destruction of those things? Okay, so we've got, so we got to figure that out. All right? Keep going. Fascinating. <laughs> Well, that was why the prayer today for the man who killed all those people was first and foremost that mercy abounds and then that justice flourishes. But it's justice and mercy together, right? Okay, so good. So the way you defeat the enemy in some sense is mercy. That's how you defeat the enemy. This is what Jesus says, you know, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And he says, basically, you you heap burning coals on your enemy's head when you love them. And love is an expression of mercy, right? Um, I think the difference between what Kirby has asked and what Jeanette is asking is there's there's a distinction between the enemy, so sort of capital E, what the psalmist is talking about. Who's the enemy? Yes, right. I think that is the enemy. Yeah, that's the, that's that's Satan's that's Satan's game, right? So the enemy is Satan. However, um, just like. This is the thing I think we underestimate sometimes. Just like when Jesus comes in contact with people, he sort of changes them for his good. When the enemy comes in contact with people, he sort of changes them for his good, right? So there's a difference between praying for the destruction of the enemy and praying for mercy on those who have come in contact with the enemy. Okay, that makes sense? So when you pray this psalm and you say, destroy the enemy, what you're saying is, destroy this. You're not saying destroy those who come in contact with the enemy. Okay, you're not saying, keep going. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But uh, this is like um, in, the, uh, in the epistles, it talks about the Antichrist, which is basically Satan. How many Antichrists are there? One or many? Many. So Satan comes in a variety of forms. So wherever Satan has embodied someone or something, that's the enemy. Okay? But, but you have to be very careful that you're not praying against people who are caught up in the enemy's work. You pray against the enemy. You pray against the work. You don't pray against the person. For, so for the person, you're praying for mercy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it, you got to think of everything sort of in parallel and paradox, right? So the Lord, how many sons does the Father have? God the Father, he has one son. And everybody who's caught up in that son is considered a son. There's only one enemy, but everyone who's sort of caught up in the enemy's work is considered then an enemy. So yeah, the only, I mean, as Kleinick said, this was great, fear no man. The only person you could ever sort of engage in fear with would be Satan. But at the end of the day, the psalmist prays that Satan be defeated. So this is the enemy. You got to get that straight. But you also have to remember that the enemy is very powerful. And he takes good people and turns them for his good, which is for the church's evil. Make sense? So this is why when the scriptures say flee temptation, what they're saying, and the psalms talk about this, what they're saying is flee the enemy. Temptation is, here's what temptation is. The enemy saying, wouldn't this be fun? That's all temptation is. I mean, pick out whatever thing you're tempted by, and at the root of that is the enemy saying, this might be more fun than what you've already got. Think, I mean, think about adultery. 
Adultery is, it might be more fun than the spouse you have right now. Or think about, I mean, pick your other temptations. It's very easy to talk about adultery because that's, everybody talks about it. But that's the sort of thing, when you long, that was the sin of Adam and Eve. The temptation was to have something better than what they were given. Yep, right. Yep, yep. Yes, Leslie. Yeah. 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 The worst possible kind of crabby. As, as you know, Luther talks about the old Adam, you know, sort of rears his ugly head and you got to drown him. And I often say to like the confirmation kids, he's a damn good swimmer, right? He rears his ugly head every day, and so you drown him back down every day. This is, and I don't, you know, this is one of the great things about Luther's, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress. You remember that one stanza that says, the word they, sh- they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit. And it sort of lays out the enemy's, the enemy's been defeated. And what remains is the word. And in Luther's hymn, it's a capital W. So he's talking not about this, like a fundamentalist. He's talking about Jesus, right? One little word can fell him. You know, one little word is, this is my body. That's the little word, okay? So, yeah, you're exactly right. He's been defeated. And the only way he can come back and defeat you again is if you let him back in your midst. So flee temptation. Don't touch evil. I said this all the time to people. You know, stay away from evil. The, the, the struggling thing is evil often appears to be more fun than good, you know? So people kind of touch it, and then it's enjoyable, and it feels good, and you, you know, whatever, well, you continue to engage it, and suddenly you're no longer here into Christ. Remember Romans 6. Suddenly you're here, and then here, and then here, and then here, and then guess what? You're within the enemy, and then this psalm is against you. Okay? So you've got to catch people before they get inside the enemy. That's when um, we, pray at, we pray at All Saints. The last One of the last petitions of the All Saints prayer was, for wanderers who must be sought and brought home. That's a brilliant prayer. Those are for people who are right here, on the fringes of the evil one. Okay? Make sense? Keep going. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, Christians, Christians, um, at your baptism, the demons are exercised. Okay, so the first thing the pastor says, once he's invoked the name, is, depart thou unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. And that actually, and you know in the scriptures, the word does what it says, and it says what it does. So when that happens, the, the, the demons flee. Um, and then when you put the sign of the cross on someone's forehead, as St. Cyril says, Satan can't look that person in the eye. He has to sort of shield his face, which is why here's, here's sort of a telltale sign. And I'm not talking about normal sort of just being a, a subtle personality or being a little shy. But when people who have always been able to engage you face to face and then have to turn away, you know something's cooking. Because that's the mark, at least in the early church, that someone has been caught up in demonic things when they can't look a Christian in the eyes. Because a Christian's been baptized and marked. And anything Satan can't see the cross. He can't look on it with his eyes. However, um, it's not as though, and, and Lutherans have sort of screwed this thing up. There was, a, there was a Lutheran who was one of the first sort of theologians in America, the Missouri Synod, who said a person um, could be possessed by a demon in their body, but not in their soul. Now, the problem is that sort of separates body and soul and makes the soul of some sort of higher value than the body, as though the body is just flesh and Satan can get in it, but not in your soul. But you know from John 1, that's not the case. The flesh is of as much value as the soul. So it's not fair to say that you sort of nitpick in people's brains or bodies and say, well, there's the demonic and there's the demonic, but thank God they're Christians, so they're not fully possessed. The Christian answer, not even the Lutheran answer, the Christian answer is what the Lutherans have always said, which is at the very same moment, you are a damn sinner 
and a forgiven saint. So in the Latin, it's simul justus et peccator. And, and that means simultaneous. It doesn't mean like, yeah, I'm a bit of a sinner and a bit of a saint. It means I am fully sinner and fully saint. You can never escape that uh, until the Lord puts your body in the ground. And then you are, you know, justus forever. So it's this constant struggle. It's almost, in some sense, like a split personality. And that's where your conscience comes into play. That's where being in contact with the gifts comes into play. But those who sort of flee the gifts, that, that, that peccator part, that sinful part, sometimes begins to run the show a bit more than it should. It's really a question of what drives you. Is it Christ or is it evil? It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but the question is what drives you? Because that is true. People always have something driving them. And if it's, if it's sort of uh, the evil desires of, and not even of the flesh, because again, we think of those in specific terms. If it's just the desires of Satan, um, then those are wanderers who sort of need to, need to be brought back home. Right? Make sense? Yep. And so then, so good. So it's not always evil in the way that, that we think of evil, but you have to even think about your own desires. Is this what Christ wants? Is this what Christ wants? Because here's the thing, when we sit down and really think about it, most of our desires are intrinsically sinful. This is, this, is, um, this is Luther. Even your best works need to be forgiven. Even your best desires need to be forgiven. So you're right. This happens all the time. Good people say, I know this is best, and I got deep down, unless it's in line with what Christ says. And, and I'm talking you know, to a T, the way Christ operates. There's something intrinsically sinful in that that needs to be forgiven. So that's why, that's why when AOR was here, the thing they said that was so helpful was, you notice the thing they said most about St. John was we have the Eucharist six times a week. Because that's the place where evil desires are sort of transformed and moved in a different direction. That makes sense? Everybody okay? Sorry, that was a bit of a long discourse, but it was a great question. Um, and a good question, too. You are right, the church has gone back and forth for centuries. But that's because, and you know this because you've read some of the church fathers, that's because they were engaging in different battles. So they were engaging in battles where people said it was all about your brain. Well, then they talk about how sinful the brain is. And then they're engaging in battles where people said it's all about the flesh. And then they say, well, no, your flesh is sinful. All pastoral care is specific. So it's difficult to read the church fathers a bit out of context because we don't always know what they're thinking. Same thing with Luther. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, said, I think I prefaced that by saying, I, I, think, I think I prefaced that by saying, I'm not talking about the normal sort of shyness of people, <laughs> okay? Because I knew someone would say, well, I'm awfully shy. No, it's like, think about it this way. Do you know people who have always been able to sort of engage you, and then something happens, and then they can't look you in the eye anymore? That is sort of a telltale sign that something has gone wrong. Because if you're on the right side of things, if you're on the Jesus side of things, you bear the cross, and Satan cannot look at that. Okay? And it shows you they've been in contact with evil things. But yeah, people are just shy, too. You know? Like when Emma goes to preschool, suddenly she becomes like a mute, and she puts her head down, and, well, she doesn't have a de demon. I mean, I hope not. She goes to the Eucharist all the time. So, I mean, so just think in those terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we don't have those cultures around all the time. So, yes, that is true. There is a sense of sort of humility, and part of that is putting their head down. But you are right, that, that different cultures have different things and different ways of sort of engaging people. How many, let me just ask you this, how many of you think your lives are chaos? Raise your hands. That's good. Sometimes. Do you, are your lives more chaotic when, okay, let me ask you this. When do you think your lives are more chaotic? In the mornings or at night? Because I know what I do, but I want to know what you think first. Really? See, that is not the case for me. It's always in the morning. I am a morning person. But here's the great thing. This psalm, if you don't know this, this psalm is appointed in the Eastern Church as the end of six psalms that they read at Matins. Now, Matins at what time of the day? Morning or night? Morning. And in the Western Church, this is prayed at Matins. So like all your Roman Catholic friends who sort of hold the who read the Psalms every day, this is read on Saturday mornings um, as part of Matins. And I wonder if there's a reason for that. I personally find life to be most chaotic in the morning. 
I do. Could be. I'll see at night, I'm like, boom, out. <laughs> Unconscious is a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, I, I, okay, well, good. Because uh, I, I think, uh, well, my point is, I think this psalm is appointed for a specific time of day because so many people do experience chaos in the mornings. Now, there are evening psalms that do the same thing. I will lie down and sleep in peace, right? For me personally, I mean, I was wide awake at 4 a.m. thinking, can I go to work now and start? <laughs> you know, will anybody be there? No, nobody's going to be there. Who's going to make the coffee? I guess I could make the coffee. <laughs> may I should go to the gym? Well, may, okay, well. So from 4 a.m., I'm wide awake, and my brain is clicking. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, yeah. No, I'm just, I, for me personally, this was a very comforting psalm because it basically says life is chaos, the spirit brings order, and he brings it particularly for the chaos of the morning. This is a morning psalm. So, uh, so partly it resonated with me, and I was just curious if it resonated with you. Now with you, maybe it didn't. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes into the hills, or I will lie down and sleep in peace. That may be you more because at night is when life is chaos. At night... It's like I just sort of shut off and that's it, and then you're wide awake at 4 a.m. So, not me. I don't remember the last time I was up at 1 a.m. Yeah? Yeah? What is it? What are you, what are you saying, Holly? We asked, we asked the... We asked the uh, we, uh, I'm trying to find one verse in here. We asked, um, we asked the preschool kids. We went over and they gave us chocolate kisses because uh, they love us and they're nice and all that good stuff. Um, and when we went over, we were sitting there, the vicar, myself, and Nelson. Pastor Bruzek was in a meeting. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, Nelson never misses an opportunity to talk about who's the youngest and who's the oldest pastor. That's what, <laughs> never misses an opportunity. So he's sitting there. Of course, the, the old man is in a meeting, so now the joke is on me. So we're sitting there with the preschoolers, and of course, Pastor Nelson says, kids, who do you think is older, me or Pastor Gainick? <laughs> now, you probably all know the answer. Um, perception is not reality, just so you know. And they all said, he is, pointed to me. I'm like, he's got six years on me. So he is six years older than me, right? Val Gady said, I want the older pastor to come see me. She asked if I'd come visit her. I said, great, Nelson will be over. She said, no, you're joking. I said, no, really, I'm not joking. <laughs> All right, so this psalm has this, this psalm has a very, here's what goes on in the psalm. For me, two things happen when life is chaos. Either my mind is racing, or it's almost, almost as though your spirit aches. Do you know what I mean by that? Okay, so how would, you how would you describe your spirit aching? What does that mean? What does that mean for you? Maybe it's un indescribable. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yes? Yes, okay. Good. It's almost like you have to catch your breath in some sense. What else? Yeah. Right? Yes, that's good. What else? Tears, good. Yeah, you know, that probably for me, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not like moved to tears, and I don't even sort of feel ill, but it's this, it's this oppressive, this weighty sort of the burden of, of the burden of evil and the burden of an evil world, and really the burden of sadness. I, can, I actually know exactly what you mean by that. Yes. And then, you know, it's great to read then when you, when you feel that way. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? So Jesus trades yokes. Okay? Yes. Yeah, so that for me, so, okay, so your spirit sort of your spirit aches. And, I, and as I was reading the psalm, look at verse 3. 
I mean, just listen to this language. And we'll kind of go verse by verse through a few of these. But just the overall theme. An enemy has hunted me down. I mean, that means you're trying to get away, right? You're trying to flee. And that's the thing about being a Christian. Even when you try to flee, sometimes the enemy actually catches up to you, hunts you down, and takes, sort of takes you hostage. The enemy has hunted me down, has ground my body underfoot, and plunged me into darkness like a man long dead, so that my spirit fails me, and my heart is dazed with despair. Do you know what it is to be dazed? You've been punched. That's dazed, where you kind of, you know, you, you sort of your head is spinning, right? That's dazed. You guys punched each other before? Back in grade school? All right, I just want to make sure. We can, we can square that up right now. <laughs> you got any outstanding warrants or what, what do you got? Yes, right. Geigler. <laughs> it wasn't Geigler then. I hope not. <laughs> All right, so there's this weightiness of the spirit. But what the psalm says is, what does the psalm say to you when your spirit is weighed down? How, how, is your, how, is that, how are you comforted in the midst of that weightiness? Yeah. By memory. By remembering what? Keep going. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, right. Good? Good. Yep. Very well done. Okay, so the biblical word for remembrance is what? Do you remember? Faithfulness. So when the Lord says, I've been faithful, the Hebrew word and the Greek word is actually remembrance. So when the Lord is faithful, all it means is he remembers. So when he says, I've been faithful in mercy, it means I remember that I've shown you mercy. And you remember, where's the, when are the times when he has a very terrible memory? When he forgives your sins, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far have I put your sins from you, never to remember them again. So now the psalmist says, I have remembered, which means, here's what he's essentially saying. All hell is breaking loose. The enemy is hunting me down, and yet through it all, I have been faithful. I've been faithful. Okay? I've been faithful. Um, and it is... You said, what did you say? You said, I remember your... Yes, that's right. How many of you have ever thought it would be nice to be a kid again? <laughs> Here's the thing. You want to know when that happens? When everybody comes back to church on Christmas Day. People haven't been here for years. You know why they all go to church? Because they want to feel like a kid again. That's just what they did. And the great thing about coming to church on Christmas Day is the Lord actually sort of talks to you like a child. Right? He has a child who talks to you like a child. But there is something about, in the midst of despair, remembering good days gone by. Remembering what it was to be a child. I mean, the great thing about Emma and about some of your children is they're young enough hopefully, Lord willing, to not be affected by anything that's going on. I mean, my great nervousness in life is always that Emma will grow up and say, yeah, the church my dad was first at had all these problems. They sorted it out, but it was rough on the family. I mean, you don't want any kid to experience that. So the psalmist says, my spirit fails, but I will dwell upon the years long past. What's so funny back there, Beth? Oh, sorry, Beth. Pretend you didn't hear that. All is well. Got a carnival coming on Sunday. Donkey rides out back, things like that. Lots of fun for you. Yeah, Beth, I'm sorry. I forgot she was in the room. That's the problem with bringing your kids to Bible study. Train up a child in the way she should go. All right. You wanted to go. Oh, good, okay. I will dwell upon the years long past, verse 5, upon the memory, upon the remembrance, upon the faithfulness of all that you have done. Who's doing the verbs? God. The wonders of your creation fill my mind. That's like, I mean, have you ever thought about what it was like in Eden? Where people, like, didn't speak cross words? Where there was no betrayal, no broken relationship? Animals and people got along. God and creation got along. I mean, that, for me, all saints, here's the message of all saints, you're going back to Eden. 
Okay, so that's what he's saying. I remember the work of your creation. I remember that you spoke things into being. I remember that Adam and Eve had a wonderful relationship. I remember that you never wanted to destroy us. I remember that what you want for us is relationship and life to the full. I remember all of that as the enemy is hunting me down. Cancer, death, hatred, whatever the enemy may be. To thee I lift up my outspread hands. What does that remind you of? Prayer, yes, prayer. Yeah, that's the ancient posture of prayer. Yes, the ancient posture of blessing. What else is it the posture of, though? Exactly right. Okay, this is the prayer of Jesus. I lift up to you my outstretched hands. This is the person of Christ. And, and all throughout the scriptures, when something good is about to happen to a, uh, for people as far as sacrifices go, oftentimes it deals with outstretched hands. Moses and Aaron blessed. Remember when Isaac isn't slaughtered, the ram is caught in the thicket by his outstretched horn. So two horns are caught in wood. Mind you, the cross, right? Okay? To thee I lift up my outspread hands, a thirst for thee in a thirsty land. My soul pants for you as the deer pants for the living water. Lord, make haste to answer. That's like, speed this thing up. For my spirit faints. Do not hide thy face from me. In the ancient world, we talked, Pastor Bruzik talked all about the name last week and how the name bears the person. But in the ancient world, especially for Hebrews, it wasn't just the name that bore the person, it was also the face. So the Lord often says, I've turned my face to you. And especially the nose in the, in the Hebrew world. So when it says here, you know, uh, do not hide thy face from me, it means don't take yourself away from me. Let me see who you are. Let me gaze upon the beauty of your face. Or I shall be like those who go down to the abyss. In the morning let me know thy true love. I have put my trust in thee. Show me the way that I must take. Show me the way that I must take. To thee I offer all my heart. The, great, the gospel reading for this Sunday is uh, the widow's might. Remember the story? Who knows the story of the widow's might from Mark chapter, what is that, Vic? Twelve? What's the story? Remember what happens in that story? Remember they come in the temple. Yeah. All the rich people are given lots of money. Yeah. Two copper coins, one penny it says. What is going on over there? That's good, you know? Yes, the key word is she gave everything. She gave everything. The message of the gospel, and the message for Sunday is it's not about money, it's not about tithing, it's about have you given up everything. And this gets back, Rebecca, to your question about what does it mean to sort of live in betwixt and in between sainthood and, and, and being a sinner. The mark of a saint, the mark of one who is on the road to Eden is one who has given up everything. Both life, love, passions, trust, all of that, but also sin, guilt, shame. It means you give up everything. You give up who you are as a sinner, and the Lord replaces that with who he is as Christ. Okay, so here it says, show me the way that I must take. To thee I offer all my heart. There's nothing inside of me that doesn't belong to you. Deliver me, Lord, from my enemies, for with thee I have sought refuge. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. In thy gracious kindness, show me the level road. Okay? Someone, if you'd be willing, open up to uh, Mark chapter 1. The great thing about the Psalms is there's something sort of in every line. Okay? Mark chapter 1, I think it is, gosh, I've got to get the verse. I think it's like 14. Hold on. Yeah, no, not quite there yet. Oh, uh, Mark, no, it's very early on. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 1, verse 3. Someone read uh, verse 3. Yes. Remember then it says, uh, later on it says in the Gospels, what was Mark's job? 
to fill in the valleys and to level the mountains, right? If you know anything about um, Jerusalem, if this is sort of the wilderness out here, and this is Jerusalem, the topography goes something like this. So you walk up a mountain and down a valley. What's that movie? With uh, up a hill, down a mountain. Yeah, what's yeah, what's that movie called? Didn't have the punch I was hoping for because it took too long for you two to figure out what I was talking about. <laughs> Just trying to relate to the ladies, Ab. Just trying to relate to the ladies. The man who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Hugh Grant. I was going to say the man who was caught, and then I realized what he was caught doing tonight. Different story. But the topography looks like this. So if John is out here, in order for John to get to Jerusalem, you have to go up mountains, down into valleys, up little hills, down into valleys. Now what does Jesus say John is going to do? Make it straight. Now what's he making straight? To? to no, no, keep going. To Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? Because what's there? The cross is there. So John's job is to make the road straight to Jerusalem. Now here it says, to the psalmist, he says, you have given me a level, a level road, a level path. Where does his level path lead? To Jerusalem. God is pointing the psalmist away from his struggles, away from the chaos of a broken world. He's pointing the psalmist on a level road that leads to the foot of the cross. Okay? Everything, all of history revolves around the cross. Everything in Scripture. These are all the Old Testament stories. Here's the crucifixion of Christ. And here are all the New Testament stories. Here are us, there we are today. Here's Adam and Eve. This is the center of history. Right here. So everything in the Old Testament, including the psalmist's journey, leads to this place. Now the great thing for you is it leads to that place as well. Leads back to the cross. So the psalmist is saying, I can't quite see what you're all about because the evil world is crashing in on me. And the Lord says, take my spirit, things will calm down, I'll make a level road, and you'll find your way back to Jerusalem. You'll find your way back to the cross. I mean, think about, think about for you, where's the best place for you to be when life gets chaotic? Yes, good, at the foot of the cross. We sing that hymn, and some of you love it, I know. Were you there when you crucified my Lord, right? No, you weren't there. Uh, but you can see it today. Why can you see it today? When you go to the Eucharist. Remember the church fathers. What comes to the altar? Whatever was pierced with nails. So the same Jesus who's crucified represents himself on the altar. If you want to find Jerusalem, go to the altar. And that, for the psalmist, and for you, and for me, that is the place of peace and joy in a world that's chaos and burden. And I would hope for all of you, I would hope for all of you in a life that's chaos and, you know, the past few weeks, months, and maybe even years that have been chaos, the only place you find comfort is at the altar, is in the sanctuary. I mean, I know you find comfort other places, but real comfort. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, right? The rest of life is still hell. <laughs> you might have good kids and a good family, but money's not the way it should be. So where do you find peace and comfort? You find peace and comfort when you're kneeling at the altar with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, with the psalmist. That makes sense? I mean, in some sense, being a Christian is very easy. I don't mean it's an easy road. What I mean is, the way the Lord's leading you, it's not difficult to see. He's always pushing you back to the altar. Because he's always pushing you back to his son. All right? It's very simple. Now, you know, the flip side of that is, being a Christian isn't easy. Because <laughs> you've got to live here. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you've got to live here. I don't, think you were, I don't think you were here, Kirby. I think you guys were away. But we talked while you were gone about Psalm 46. And I said at some point in that discussion 
that this is not reality. Didn't I say that? This is not reality. Reality is heaven and the presence of Christ. So I think we get this all goofed up. We say, isn't this great? Our reality is terrible, and yet the saints are off with Jesus and are having a grand old time. We sort of think that this is all there is in life. The point of the Psalms and the point of the Gospels is, this is not reality. Reality is where Christ is. And Christ is with the saints, and where does that reality come to meet us? Very simple, like a children's sermon. At the altar in Jesus, right? That's why the liturgy says, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. So you're right, this life is very difficult, but the consolation is, this isn't reality. This is not reality. I know you do. You do. Uh, but, you know, when you get to heaven someday, you're going to say, man, that was like that was like a drop in the bucket. Luther's got a great line when his daughter dies. He says, um, you know, he's distraught over this. His seven-year-old daughter dies. And he writes this great letter sort of to himself. And near the end he says, um, death is but a night and I will see her again in the morning. Well, in some sense, that's what life is, right? Because people who have gone before us, you think, how long is it going to be? It's but a night's sleep, right? But it's still hell along the way. It is very good. And part of the Christian, part of the Christian, yeah, part of the Christian life is, and, and partly this is our own sort of contextual struggle. The great thing about Sunday will be if we can sort of come free then and I prayed this in the prayer, and then sort of refocus our eyes on joy and peace and gift. If you can sort of get through the struggles, the problem is all we think about is how bad it is. That's all we talk about. That's all we think about. I'm sure for many of you, too, at your dinner tables you talk about it. You come to meetings and talk about it. You lie awake at night and think about it. That's all you think about and talk about is how bad life is because of what's going on. Well, guess what? When we move through that, let's talk about how great life is. I mean, part of, part of the Christian life is making your way through something and then saying, we're through it now, let's talk about something better. Let me come here and then I'll come back to you, okay? One of the great things... Yeah. One of the great things when Cl the clinic said when he was here, he basically said, you can't be angry. And he said, even in the scriptures, the Lord sort of puts a time limit on anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. There's a reason he says that, because you shouldn't dwell on it all the time. And in fact, he kind of said, speed up the process, get through it, and be happy again. So there is something about remembering days of old that helps you get through the sadness and the anger and the angst, and you can sort of remember again the joy that you had before and the joy that will come. Right? Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think pain and hurt need to be confessed. Partly, the pain is much deeper for some people than it is for others. And for some people, it's like, it's like a death. Um, I mean, you talk to people who have lost loved ones, grieving is always different for every person. And so to sort of force people to make it through their grief and become happy again is not the way of the gospel because nothing good happens by force. Uh, it's like when you say to people, get well in the hospital. If I'm ever sick, don't ever come and say, get well. If I could freaking get well, I'd get well. <laughs> you know? So you're right. If all we do is talk about how bad life is, you can never sort of see the joys on the other side. And yet, I, I want to be sympathetic to the fact that some people have been so deeply hurt um, maybe different or even more deeply than, than you or other people have been hurt. And that takes an extraordinary amount of time to get through. And the process for everybody is very different. So, you know, you can read all these studies about the stages of grief. And some of you have lost loved ones, especially sort of early on in life, have seen this. But people are caught up in different stages at different times. Now, the only time that needs to be confessed is when that becomes your idol when your sadness becomes all you can think about. It's like when people say, I lost a child, I'll never be able to forgive the Lord. Well, then your child has become your idol. But just the normal rhythm of grief and despair and sadness, 
that's very different for other people. Very di- and, and the people who have made it through then have to make a concerted effort to help people along. But again, forcing people, like, just be happy, or it's all going to be okay, or get through it, or the Lord will provide, I don't actually think that's the way to deal with it. Because you might not be happy, and you might not be okay, and the Lord might not provide in the way you want him to provide. One of the greatest heresies is the Lord will provide. Yeah, he will provide, but oftentimes people say that when they've screwed up so royally that they think somehow the Lord will, like, drop them a check. I, we bankrupted our family, but the Lord will provide. Well, no, he did all the income that you spent on something you shouldn't have. So we can't just, we, sometimes we, the welcome for this week is very good in the bulletin. It's from a member, a young member. But it sort of says we throw out all these cliches, and we can't talk that way anymore. Because what it, what's about remembering is the Lord has been faithful. He will always be faithful. And even if you're grieving, he's going to help you all the way through it. Beth. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The church, in, in, a, in a very real sense, the church, you should have a relationship in the church like you have a relationship with your own spouse. I mean, you know if your spouse has struggled with something. I mean, me, of course. This is how Abby deals with me. No, when your spouse has struggled with something, sometimes you don't engage it right away. Sometimes you don't talk about it. I mean, just kind of laying on people and saying, why are you upset, why are you upset, why are you upset, isn't the way to fix the problem. It's the same thing in the church. I mean, sometimes just laying into people like, and you made a great point by saying sometimes the best thing is just not to say anything at all. Um, but because you are a body in reality, if the big toe hurts, the whole body reacts. If you stub your toe, you don't just say, wow, that hurt, I stubbed my toe. You usually bend down and grab your foot. That's the way the body works. Um, but it just it takes some... It takes real spiritual maturity to care for people. And that's the thing we got to remember going forward. What else? Yeah, Sandy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, at the center of the psalm, it's very simple. The works of your hands, and I'm fairly convinced of this, the works of your hands is, is a reference to the crucifixion. It is a reference to sort of the outstretched hands and the works of creation. So you have a very simple thing. How do you know the Lord loves you? He created you and he redeemed you. Boom, period. That's all you have to know. The sun comes up in the morning, the moon comes out at night, you go to the Eucharist on Sunday, whatever else happens in life, it's all going to be okay. Right? That's all it is. That's all it is. And if you can remember that, then the rest of the life can rest of life can sort of begin to come a jo- become a joy again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I think your point is a good one, which is you can't dwell on the past, but you have to remember the good things of the past, and you have to hope that something better can come in the future. While recog- and you've kind of alluded to this, while recognizing that. Um, Relationships, once they're broken, will never be the same. Yeah, exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Never be the same. It takes the Lord working on two people to bring it back together. But you, are, but you are right. It never is the same. I mean, in a real sense, what's happened is almost like, um, almost like a broken marriage. Because while you can forgive each other, this is what she said. I, I heard part of the interview. Basically, I can forgive him. We can live together again. But we've got to start over. And it'll never be the way it was before. I mean, anybody that says to you, my, my spouse had an affair and it's the same way it was before, is not telling the truth. It can, but it can be better, but it's going to be different. Um, and to take the long view is the, is the way that the Lord views things as well. You remember, Jesus is out here, and in Luke 9, 51, remember what he does in the Gospels? He turns and sets his face toward Jerusalem. So he's got in his sights an event. In some sense, he sets his eyes towards you and toward broken relationships, but he does take the long view 
to make wrongs right, and then he invites us to take the long view in the same way. So he looks forward to Jerusalem. <laughs> You're down here. You look back to Jerusalem. Your long view is not to old relationships and say, wasn't it great when we had coffee? Your long view is to the foot of the cross. Because that's the only place wrongs can be made right. Okay? You all okay? Thanks for picking a very happy psalm. <laughs> we should do 103 just to cheer people up. Oh, it co- that's the thing. I mean, I've said to people, read your psalms. You know, read the psalms because uh, the, Lord can, the Lord can make them fit for anything, you know? Yeah, we don't know where to go, right? We don't know where to go. But, and you are right, take my hand and lead me, because what's the very last line? For I am thy servant. In the Hebrew, I am thy slave, right? I'm yours. Do with me what you will. Yeah. He picks you up and he says, now why did you do that? And uh, let's, get, let's dust the mud off and let's come in and have something to eat and it's all going to be okay tomorrow, Right? Yeah, right. Come on now. It's, it's going to be okay. Let's come home. It's all going to be fine. That's exactly right. In a real sense, yes, exactly right. He embraces you and he says, he says, tomorrow's a new day, right? All right. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep, exactly right. So the message of the psalm is, Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Trust yourself to Christ. Flee evil. I mean, just keep your hands clean of it. And, and know that in the midst of all the chaos, he's directing you on a level path all the way back to the altar. That's where he wants you. Then that's calm. That's peace. That's community. That's joy. That's everything you need. Okay? Oh, uh, I don't know where it's at, but the face... You always have the person in the face, and particularly in the Hebrew, it's the nose is the person. So it says, like, his nose burned with anger in one section. I don't know where it's at. I just remember from the Hebrew. It was a funny Hebrew word. All right, let's pray. The Lord's Prayer is always best. Pray this often, okay? You need to say your prayers at night and read the Psalms. It's all going to be fine. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.